Welcome back to the Revelation On Demand podcast, a podcast dedicated to bringing you Revelation from the Bible. I'm your host, Justin D. Myers. Welcome back. So starting off today, this was an election week, past week, maybe just a little advice to my friends out there on election time is that, uh, you know, that you can get really caught up in politics and I'm, I'm terrible about it. You know, I really interested in politics and I can really, really get into it and really have my own opinions, you know, but one thing we got to keep in mind is that our elected officials are there for a reason and that's because God wants them where they are. So if you're not happy, especially in America where we actually get to vote, we get to exercise, you know, that, that right that I believe is God given, but not every country has this. So, um, you know, we get to exercise that vote or that right to vote for those who we want in power or that we want leading us. And, uh, you know, to extent, some of that is what we think. And to a greater extent, the people who are in power are in power because God wants them there. Now, whether that means, you know, God is happy with the way we're going or whether God is putting people in power that are going to lead to our demise as punishment for, uh, you know, not following God, you know, that's up to debate and depending on who's in power, you can, you can definitely debate that either way. So just something to keep in mind whenever, you know, it's time to vote, try and vote in a way that you think God wants to lead the country. Look for those people who are, God-fearing that will, you know, lead in a way that actually would please God and maybe even, maybe even, you know, they're professing Christians that would actually have some of the beliefs that you have, you know, vote for the kind of culture that you want to see, not, don't vote simply based on party lines, don't vote on, you know, don't get swept up in the in the back and forth that the media likes to likes to show show us on TV and all that. So, just something to keep in mind. And then, of course, if you're unhappy with the results of an election, then it's also you know something that we can just go. Well, I guess this is the direction that we're heading, and that's the direction that as a country we're heading. Which again can be debated whether it's towards you know working with God or away from working with God. And uh, you know. If you listen to all our episodes, you understand exactly where I stand on most things. And I'm not exactly a friend to both sides. <laughs> I, I try to I try to keep my politics in line with my beliefs, and my beliefs is what the Bible says. So, talking about the Bible, you're here to hear about Isaiah 8. So, today we are continuing on with our Isaiah study, this long slog through this huge book. And as you've seen in previous episodes, we are chunking them down chapter by chapter and taking a brief view of each one and digging in a little bit here and there to see what this text is talking about. So last episode was Isaiah 7. This was where Isaiah brings a less than happy prophecy to King Ahaz. And of course, Ahaz is not, not happy with this prophecy at all, as we learned. And then he protected that the enemy Ahaz was afraid of was the wrong enemy to fear that the enemy that Ahaz was fearing at the moment was going to be, you know, just just a minor annoyance, a minor, uh, they were going to get through it. And then now that Ahaz, you know, kind of rejected God's prophecy and all that, now coming up would be a uh, much more fearsome enemy that would actually 
be the reason that Israel and or Judah in that time got wiped out and pretty much spread to the far corners of the earth. And there wouldn't be very many, many left in Israel after all this happened. And as we talked about, there was a prophecy about a virgin giving birth to a child and that child before you knew the difference between good and bad would, that would, that's when the prophecy would be fulfilled. So carrying on today, we are going to go into chapter eight. And this is another chapter that's more prophecy and more, uh, yeah, more prophecy talking directed at Ahaz and Judah and telling them that, you know, what's about to happen and what's going to happen. Of course, there's a lot less room now that Ahaz has already turned away from God. So now we're seeing a lot more um, destructive language, a lot more prediction of the downfall. Starting in chapter 8, the Lord said to me, take a large scroll and write on it an ordinary pen, Meher Shalah has Baz. So I called in Uriah the priest and Zechariah, son of Jerichiah, as reliable witness for me. Then I made love to the prophetess, and she convinced, excuse me, and she conceived and gave birth to a son. And the Lord said to me, Name him Meher Shalahaz Baz, Hash Baz, for the boy knows how to, before, excuse me, wow, I'm just having issues reading this morning. Verse 4. For before the boy knows how to say, My father or my mother, the wealth of Damascus and the plunder of Samaria will be carried off by the king of Assyria. Uh, he's got a little tongue-tied there. I don't like to edit these things out, so I'm imperfect, and I ask for grace. That's, I think everyone can do that. So, Anyways, it's talking about ordinary pen. There's another, a, another translation that says like common tongue or common language. And just this means, you know, writing in a manner that would be easy for the laity to read. So just everyday people. So in Israel, this would probably be written in um, Assyrian or not Syrian, excuse me. Not yet. Maybe maybe later it'd be written in Assyrian, but uh, probably written in, uh, in the common form of, of Hebrew. Um then we see this name, this one that I kind of stumbled over, the Meher Shalah Hazbaz. And this means, in Hebrew, I believe, this means spoil, speed, prey, hastens. So this is, again, another name that is directly given to one of the prophet's sons, or children, I should say. And this is talking about that the coming destruction of Israel and Syria is coming because of the way that Israel has you know, pretty much turned away from God and is now going to be destroyed by this coming Assyrian Empire. And we see him calling in other priests and uh, witnesses to, uh, to look in or to witness these new, this new um, prophecy with the naming of the son. And uh, we, we see this, this is much like what we are supposed to do if we, uh, you know, come to a, another believer and say, hey, you know, something you're doing is incorrectly and they, they refuse to hear it. And uh, then we're supposed to bring in other people. So he's bringing in more witnesses just that, you know, if Ahaz continues to say, hey, I don't, I think you're full of it. And of course, 
Isaiah has covered his bases and said, yeah, well, I brought you before more than just myself. So we see that this is, this is kind of the first structure or something like that that we see later in the New Testament. Isaiah has been instructed to do acts like many of the prophets, and they can see bizarre. Like, there was one prophet who was just told to lay on his side to pretend to be the wall of a city, and he was just lay on his side for several days and lay on his other side and then didn't like pass out or something, and that was supposed to represent the wall falling down and all that. Anyways, we see here that he's talking about you know making love with the prophetess and in um, conceiving a child and. While the prophetess could mean Isaiah's wife, it's not a common, it's not common parlance to call the wife of a prophet a prophetess. Um, there's very few prophetesses actually mentioned in the Old Testament, and they're all like standing on their own, giving their own prophecies, kind of prophetess, not uh, the wife of a prophet, prophetess. So it could mean that, it could also mean something else. Of course, we see that he has. This is Isaiah naming his children after these names. As we get deeper into this, we'll see that this is probably talk about his wife, and he's just being uh, flamboyant with his language and calling her a prophetess, um, just to maybe inspire some scandal. Where you know he's talking about his wife, but maybe someone else who's listening, much like we are today, says, "Oh, is he like? Is he doing something with?" prophetess from a different you know religion sort of thing and I'm, I'm thinking that might be the case where he's just being a little bit coy and he named his own child this so of course he's talking about his wife hopefully of course there's always room for that not being the case so this prophecy will take place in the first year where it says the boy knows before the boy knows how to say my mother or my father and of course this is something that babies say pretty quickly around six to eight months, depending on how quickly they progress. You know, they, they are saying mama and dada pretty quickly because they, especially if they're not the first child, they, they are hearing their brothers and sisters say it. So they pick up those sounds really quickly. So this is happening within the first year of this child. So not even a year after he's giving this message, he's predicting the destruction of Israel. And then, we come back to that when the boy's name is meaning the loss of wealth and a war to come. You know, spoil speeds, prey hastens. Kind of this idea of Israel is coming to the end of its ropes and going to be hunted down and, and taken apart and advantage of by another nation. Let's see if I stumble reading this section. Continuing on at verse 5. The Lord spoke to me again, because this people has rejected the gently flowing waters of Shiloh and rejoices over Rezin and the son of Remaliah. Therefore, the Lord is about to bring against them the mighty flood waters of the Euphrates. The king of Assyria, with all his pomp, it will overflow all its channels, run over all its banks, and sweep in onto Judah, swirling over it, passing through it, reaching up to, reaching up to the neck. It spreads out. Its outspread wings will cover the breadth of your land, Emmanuel. So we get this uh, water of Shiloh, uh, probably Shiloh would be the more correct pronunciation. It's said to be a pool at the center of the Holy Land. This is kind of the place where a lot of Israel has formed around, and this is kind of a holy area. And of course, in the desert, water is very important. So these pools could be 
very important. And when they are connected to spiritual things as well, they become even more important. So Rezin, as was mentioned last chapter, and he's the king of Aram or Syria, not Assyria, but uh, just one of those nearby nations next to Judah who they tend to work with or they don't work with or they end up fighting often throughout the Old Testament. And then we have the son of Remaliah, which was the king of Israel. So again, we're talking about this kind of split nation where Israel was the northern half and Judah was the southern half. And we have these, uh, them acting as two nations. Uh, there was, you know, that division that happened because the northern part of the country had all the uh, temples and all the holy sites. So Judah did not want to be left out and they started making their own holy sites and stuff like that. And that was a, a split that happened before. So now we see they're acting as two different countries, even though they're supposed to be one country, all of God's people. And then the flood refers to the incoming invasion will be as a flood. So we see that this, this coming Assyrian empire will just flood over the lands and just destroy everything Israel and Judah stood for. And then we see that uh, this, the spread out wings is often a a representation of you know the Lord you know covering or kind of protecting His people. So this could be when it's being you know brought over at the very end, talking about all this destruction and everything. It could be talking about how God will protect a remnant from within all of Israel. Israel will not be destroyed utterly. So we see that, uh, you know, maybe they will just only survive this invasion and this destruction. And then he uses the name Emmanuel again, which of course we said is, you know, uh, yeah, I forgot what the name was. Oh, that's embarrassing. God with us, right? Emmanuel means God with us. So again, he's pointing back to the last chapter and the last prophecy where is talking about how God is with us even when it seems like he's not. Which kind of goes back to my earlier statements about voting. You know, God's always with us even if it feels like maybe our vote didn't go the way we wanted to. You know, things are happening according to God's plans, not ours. So, continuing on in verse 9. Raise the war cry, you nations, and be shattered. Listen to all you distant lands. Prepare for battle and be shattered. Prepare for battle and be shattered. Devise your strategy, but it will be thwarted. Propose your plan, but it will not stand. For God is with us. This is what the Lord says to me. He, with his strong hand upon me, warning me not to follow the way of this people. Do not call conspiracy everything that people calls a conspiracy. Do not fear what they fear. Do not dread it. The Lord Almighty is the one you are to regard as holy. He is the one you are to fear. He is the one you are to dread. He will be a holy place for both Israel and Judah. He will be a stone that causes people to stumble and a rock that makes them fall. And for the people of Jerusalem, he will be a trap and a snare. Many of them will stumble. They will fall and be broken. They will be snared and captured. Bind up this testimony of warning and seal up God's instructions among my disciples. I will wait for the Lord who is hiding his face from the descendants of Jacob. I will put my trust in him. Here I am, and the children of the Lord has given me. We are signs and symbols in Israel from the Lord Almighty who dwells on Mount Zion. 
We can take this section as a reminder that if we stand with God, nothing can prevail against God's will. So the prophets often talked about God's presence as being tangible, where he's talking about he feels God's hand on him. And uh, just a sailor reminder, yeah, well, no, excuse me, not yet. Anyways, we talk about this, we're, excuse me, we have not talked about this. Or have we? I can't remember if we talked about this or not. Anyways, we talk about often, or we're talking about this prophet talking about the tangible presence of the Lord upon him, his hand upon him, kind of like maybe the Lord has his hand upon his shoulder or something, you know, kind of saying, go forth, go forth, you know, in my name. And uh, we talk about God's presence being tangible in that manner. And I've, I feel like I've talked about before saying how I feel God's presence in it's kind of this this feeling at the base of my skull where if I f am I going the right way or if I get this revelation of some sort, I get this it's a physical sensation. I don't know how else to describe it that kind of gives me a tingling feeling, I guess, that this is something that is true. This is something that is from God. This is something that is beyond just my brain saying, oh yeah, this is a good idea. You know, this is something, it feels like something from without kind of reaching in and saying, this is the correct path. And I know not everybody gets that. So I feel lucky to have that when I do have it. It's not like a regular occurrence. It's something that happens only few and far between. I can't even remember the last time I felt this kind of uh, tangible presence. So it's it's been a while. Uh, it's just one of those things where if you don't feel God's presence ever, uh, it does not mean that you're necessarily doing the wrong thing. It's just maybe you have a different relationship with the Lord. Anyways, we got this salient reminder in this section, just not to agree with those around us, where it's talking about the following others' conspiracies. And of course, this is really important today, where you have so many different news stories, and some people, some sources are contradicting each other and it's hard to even figure out who's telling the truth and what's real and what's not real and it's really hard to discern these days you know what's true and what's not true so uh something just to keep in mind these days whenever you're listening to the news maybe somebody is feeding you something that they want you to believe not something that is true so just a reminder and we are to fear the Lord, but not in the way that like a uh, bad parent will punish a child for doing something bad. Uh, not not in that manner. It's like we shouldn't be fearing, like, oh, I need to walk on eggshells so that I do everything that's right so I don't end up in hell. Uh, no, we should fear and respect God in a way that is more like a, a, a father-son relationship that is healthy, where the son wants to do the things that will make the father happy, that wants to do the right things, that wants to make the father happy, that wants to follow the father's instructions. But knowing that we are all humans and that we are flawed and that we are, you know, we've got these sinful bodies that just tend to drive us in the wrong direction over and over again. We understand that when we do stumble, when we do fall short, when we do run into these issues where we are not following God's will. We understand that we are to try and get back to a place where we are following God's will, not that we are worried about going to hell. 
if you are saved, if you've given your life to Christ, you are saved. And that, that's what I believe. I don't believe that there's any way to lose your salvation unless you completely renounce the faith. And that would require, uh, you know, a complete mind shift from being a servant of God and following and accepting, you know, the sacrifice of Jesus Christ to rejecting all that. And that is the only way I think you could ever lose your salvation. And honestly, I don't, I, I can't think of an argument that would bring me from this place where I believe you know, Jesus died and saved me from my sins. I don't know what would convince me that that's untrue. I think I could be convinced that it is untrue if I see overwhelming evidence, but all the evidence I see points towards God being real, Jesus having died for our sins. Continuing on. <laughs> and we should just respect, uh, one more thing, we should just respect God being, you know, this ultimate creator of the universe that power, we should be in awe and respect that, if nothing else. So the stumbling stone passages here, this is the one that Paul quotes in his passion passage in Romans. Where it's talking about how God is going to send the stumbling block where some people will stumble over him, as we see in the New Testament, where people are really stumbling over the presence of Jesus and what it means for him to come. And then the prophets often had groups of followers that were referred to as sons of prophets, but in this case, we call them disciples of Isaiah. And he talks about them directly where they have, you know, he said, put this uh, testimony warning and seal it up for the instructions among my disciples. He's saying, you know, take this. He's not just... uh, He's not just saying this to the king. He's saying this to all the people who follow him and telling them to take it out into the surrounding nation and tell other people about this. This all suggests that Isaiah's prophecies were carried by his disciples after he's left or died. So this could mean that he had a ministry that carried on long after him. And of course, with children named the way we have talked about so far, uh, we see that... It's probably his family that's carried this on. So, Isaiah's children were named after these prophecies. We heard the first one, I think that was clear back in, uh, was chapter 6. No, it was in chapter 7. This was all in chapter 7. So, anyways, Shir Jeshub, which was a remnant, will return. We have another son named Emmanuel, which is God with us. We talked about that again this time. And the Meher Shalah Hazbaz, which is the spoil speeds, pray hastens again. So his family is not just a, you know, a God-oriented family. His whole family, like their names are prophecies that he has given out to Israel and Judah. Like he's literally named his children after these prophecies. So that's, if that doesn't give you complex, I don't know what would, uh, just thinking about that, but to serve your whole life in a wholly dedicated way to have your name even mean a prophecy that that's that's something uh so isaiah and his family were living reminders to all those around him that what the prophecies that isaiah had brought meant and what they were going to mean for the future so we only have a few more lines here and we'll finish up starting at verse 19 when someone tells you to consult mediums and spiritists who whisper and mutter should not people inquire with their God? Why consult the dead on behalf of the living? Consult God's instructions and testimonies of warning. If anyone does not speak according to this word, they have no light of dawn. Distressed and hungry, they will roam through the land. When they 
are famished, they will become enraged and look upward, will curse their king and their god, and then they will look toward the earth and see only distress and darkness and fearful gloom, and they will be thrust into utter darkness. And as we see with the prophets, we are ending on a high note, of course, you know, this very, very dark ending to this chapter. Um, I try try to turn things around, so we'll we'll dig this apart here. And the people will turn to magic and divination instead of the Lord. And they begin to struggle in this time. Of course, this is just typical. People start to seek out other forms of spiritual mediums and spiritual guidance whenever they are in tough times. And I mean, even today we see this. There's there's magic and divination, star signs, and uh, this thing called spirit science, which I was into quite a bit. That it's just people searching for spiritual answers in ways that are not focused on God and they always lead or are led by these incorrect people or these demons in some of the worst cases where you are actually talking to demons to do this magic and it can just be a dangerous thing. The only, the only safe spiritual guidance way is to follow the Lord, is to pray to the Lord, is to ask the Lord for guidance. That is the only safe spiritual route we have as humans. All others are filled with danger and potential traps and snares. And this last part sounds a lot like today, where people are cursing their leaders, both sides, and only seeing the darkness of the world. If you've watched any of the news, you know exactly how the world is ending, and there's nothing we can do about it, and Andy and and, you know, these people are terrible, these people are doing the wrong thing, these people are horrible people, like, you just, it's... It's everyone's focus on the, the darkness and the evil and looking at all the bad things that are happening and saying, this, this is our lot. This is, this is it. Like there's nothing better than this. And it's like, well, come on. And that's where we as God followers have that. We have that light and we, we can bring that to a dark place. And as I've talked about proof before, you know, people are still turning from God today, even though there's more proof than ever before on Jesus and God and the resurrection and all that lovely stuff we'd like to talk about. And then every day seems new disasters. As I said, it's the end of the world. There's a headline every day where the world's going to end because of this, the world's going to end because of that, whatever. These people are going to take over the world. These people are going to make your lives miserable. These people are going to blah, 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 blah. So it's always something new. And then, of course, as Christ followers, as believers in Christ, we can kind of uh, not ignore. We should definitely address the issues in the world as to the best of our abilities. But we understand that this world is temporary. This world is fallen. This world is corrupt. And one day, it will all be washed away. It will all be made clean. It will all be rebuilt in a new and better way. So the takeaway for today is in our dark times, we need to turn to the source of all life and light and seek out God and His will, even when it's not easy for us. And this is where we, you know, as Revelation On Demand, we focus on the more spiritual aspects and, of course, we always touch back with to Revelation where it says one day God will come back, God will rebuild the earth, and we will live in a paradise that is beyond our wildest dreams. 
work will not be this thing that we do just to make money. This will be something that every job will be fulfilling. Every job will be vindicating. Every job will make you better than who you were. You know, this job will grow you. The You'll continue to learn because there's never, I don't think we could ever learn everything. Even in millions of years, there's always something to learn. There's always people to learn from and our jobs will be fulfilling and this world will be made perfect. There will be no death. There will be no destruction. There will be no, no decay when the world is recreated once again. And it's just such a stark contrast to think about to how we see today. The world is just this dark place where it's decaying and destruction and wars and violence and all this stuff that carries on. And it's just a light on a hill that we get to look forward to. And we do our best to live as if that light is coming any day. And it shows to those around us when we do, we do manage to live like that. So thank you for listening to revelation on demand podcast. Please like share and subscribe wherever you catch podcasts from. Please, if you like what we're doing, share this with a friend, family member, or someone from your church. This is a completely private venture and we receive no funding from any sources. If you have any comments, questions, or concerns, please feel free to contact me at revelation on demand at gmail.com. God bless and see you next time.